today's episode deals with fairy tale typical mentions of death, attempted and successful murders, and the brief discussion of a historical serial killer. Our inaugural story is Bluebeard, a terrifying tale about why you should know who you're marrying and how curiosity can kill the cat. Bluebeard has been around for quite a while, but its earliest exant version is Charles Perrault's version, which was first published in 1697. However, I don't speak French, nor do I read it, so I've decided to read Sir Arthur Quiller Couch's version that's featured within the anthology Sleeping Beauty and Other Fairy Tales from the Old French, originally published in 1910. Bluebeard, though not as ubiquitous in the United States as Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty, and Snow White, has definitely had a lasting impact on literature and culture. It's been remade into operas at least three times, and the character often makes his way into literature and movies. Crimson Peak with Rosamund Pike and Tom Hiddleston is a recent movie that borrows liberally from the plot, and Elizabeth Harvest, a movie that came out a few years ago, is a modern retelling of it. And he weirdly gets a shout-out a few times in Fifty Shades of Grey, though that's neither here nor there. Interestingly enough, this version is set in the Ottoman Empire, which seems odd to me, but I think I figured out why. Sir Quiller Couch is a Cornish author often referred to as Q. Noted for his clear and effortless writing style, he appears to derive many of his details in his version of Bluebeard from pantomime theater versions. These were really popular at the Theatre Royale, and they had been on and off at the Theatre Royale since 1797, and one of the most famous and popular runs was with Dan Leno in 1901. They often orientalized it by setting it in the Ottoman Empire and giving the wife a name, Fatima. These were popular, and they're actually the main reason why virtually all of the late 19th and early 20th century English art you'll find of Bluebeard sees him orientalized. Despite the Ottoman backdrop, Bluebeard is a deeply French character. Most of his character is in fact inspired by French nobleman and French army leader Guy de Ray. He was born sometime around 1405 and was a companion in arms to Joan of Arc. Timestamp in the description if you wish to skip this discussion. De Ray would have been famous in history and for his military achievements, but he tends to get glossed over because of his whole hobby of being a child serial killer and pedophile. Um, <laughs> following his military career, he became well-known among contemporaries for his sudden interest in religion, as well as his personal chapel that has, that had a boys' choir, hand-selected by DeRay. Now, depending on how you look at it, um, A, it was either in character for his single-minded intensity of how he took to his activities and hobbies, or B, horrifying considering what he went to trial for. And just to emphasize... Um, for most of history, there was no such thing as teenagers, so we are in fact dealing with actual children around the ages of 7 to 10. Um, so a lot of these children started going missing near the areas around his castles, and a lot of rumors began to circulate around the disappearances, and they were often linked back to DeRay and his servants. It eventually ended up being this sort of open secret among his lands, and during the trial, witnesses even said that they had seen servants disposing of dozens of young bodies in the middle of the night. Spooky. Uh, despite the open secret of it all, nothing was done about this, mostly because he was a rich dude doing this to boys who came from poor families. Eventually, all of this did get judged up when he went on trial for kidnapping a priest for unrelated reasons, and he confessed to the murder and sodomization of over 100 children. So, there's been a sort of pushback in recent years in modern scholarship because some 
modern historians argue that it was just a massive defamation campaign based off all the incongruent details within the trial and the fact that the trial had nothing to do with this. But, you know, I'm just relaying the famous story. So there's actually this revisionist historian who argues on behalf of DeRay and her name is Margot Juby and she is sort of the only English per- or not English person but the person in English who tries to belay his innocence. French scholars have more or less exonerated him but English-speaking historians are still on the fence. She runs a blog and she published a biography about DeRay and I'll include more information on that in the description if you're interested. Anyways, he was simultaneously hanged and burned alive on 26th of October, 1440 in Nantes for alchemy, murder, and sodomy and for the kidnapping of a priest. Interestingly, um, in Nantes, a three-day fast was observed because he was um, a model of penitence while he was being simultaneously hanged and burned alive. And for about 100 years or so after the event, uh, around the anniversary of the death, people would flog their children because he looked um, truly repentant for killing children or something. Yeah, so I guess it goes to show how complex religion tended to be in the late medieval, early modern period. In the east, in a city not far from Baghdad, there lived a man who had many possessions and might have been envied by all who knew him, had these possessions been less by one. He had fine houses in town and country, retinues of servants, gold and silver plate in abundance, coffers heaped with jewels, costly carpets, embroidered furniture, cabinets full of curiosities, gilded coaches, teams of Arab horses of the purest breed. But unluckily, he also had a blue beard, which made him so frightfully ugly that every woman wanted to scream and run away at the sight of him. Among his late neighbors was a lady of quality who had two sons and two daughters. Upon these two damsels, Bluebeard cast his affections without knowing precisely which he preferred and asked the lady to bestow the hand of one of her daughters upon him, asking, not too tactfully, that he would leave the choice to her. Neither Anne nor Fatima was eager for the honor. They sent their suitor to and fro and back again from one to the other. They really could not make up their minds to accept a husband with a blue beard. It increased their repugnance, for they were somewhat romantic ladies, to learn that he had already been married several wives, and moreover, nobody could tell what had become of them, which again, was not reassuring. Bluebeard, to make their better acquaintance, invited them with their mother and brothers and a dozen or so of their youthful friends to divert themselves at one of his country houses, where they spent a whole fortnight and, as they confessed, in the most agreeable pastimes. Each day brought some fresh entertainment. They hunted, they hawked, they practiced archery, they angled for goldfish, or were rowed to the sound of music on the waters of their host's private canal. They picnicked in ruined castles of which he owned quite a number. Each day concluded, too, with, a, with banqueting, dancing, card parties, theatricals, or would have concluded had these young people felt any disposition to go to bed. 
They preferred, however, to sit up until morning, joking and teasing one another. Bluebeard, who had arrived at middle age, would have been grateful for a little more sleep than they allowed him, but showed himself highly complacent and smiled at their pranks even, when, their awe of him having worn off, they balanced a basin of water above his chamber door to fall on his head and douche him, or sewed up his night garments, or stuffed his bolster with the prickly cactus, which is an eastern vegetable, of which he possessed whole avenues. Nay, even when, for the same mischievous purpose, they despoiled his garden of an aloe, which was due to blossom in a few days' time, after having remained flowerless for a century, he betrayed no chagrin, but merely raised the wages of his head gardener, heartbroken over the loss of a plant so economical in giving pleasure. In short, all went so smoothly that the youngest daughter began to find their host's beard not so blue after all. She confided this to her mother. Dear mother, she said, it is doubtless nothing more than my fancy, but his beard does seem to me to have altered in color during the last ten days. A very little, of course. Then you too have observed it. The lady interrupted delightedly. My dearest child, you cannot imagine how your words relieve me. For the week past, I have accused my eyesight of failing me and of myself of growing old. Then you really think there is a change? asked Fatima, at once doubtful and hoping. Indeed, yes. Ask yourself if it be reasonable to suppose that our eyes are playing a trick on both of us. Not her mother went on, that I, for my part, have any prejudice against blue. On the contrary, it is a beautiful color and considered lucky. The poets, you will have remarked, when they figured to us that the highest attainable happiness select a blue flower or a blue bird for its emblem. Heaven itself is blue, and at the least, a blue beard must be allowed to confer distinction. A grayish blue, ha- hazard Fatima. A bluish gray, rather, her mother corrected her. That is, if I must define the shade as it appears to me. And, still hesitated Fatima, since it has begun to change, there seems no reason why it should not continue to do so. My darling, her mother kissed her. That is precisely the point. Its color is changing, you say. But for what reason? Obviously because he is in love. And what love began, love can carry to a conclusion. Nay, but put it on the ground of pity alone. Could a feeling heart set itself any task more angelic than to rescue so worthy a gentleman from so hideous an affliction? If affliction it be, it be from which I am far from allowing. Fatima reflected on her mother's advice, but thought it prudent to consult her sister Anne and her stepbrothers before coming to a decision which, once taken, must be irrevocable. They listened to her very good-naturedly, though. To tell the truth, all three were somewhat jaded, having sat up all night at the card tables, playing at ombre, quadrille, lequescent, and heaven knows what other games. My dear Fatima, said her sister Anne with a little yawn, I congratulate you with all my heart on having made a discovery which, beyond a doubt and but for your better diligence, I should have had to make for myself before long. And as for her stepbrothers, they were in the best of humors after having won a considerable sum of money from their host by superior play, and they answered her, quoting a proverb that, At nights, all cats are gray, and all beards too, and seemed to consider this very much to the point. 
Fatima was greatly relieved by these assurances. On the evening before the company dispersed, Bluebeard again sought a private interview and pressed his suit. She accepted him without further ado, and as soon as they returned to town, the marriage was concluded. They had been married little more than a month when Bluebeard came to his wife one morning and told her that letters of importance had arrived for him. He must take a journey into the country and be away six weeks at least on a matter of business. He desired her to divert herself in his absence by sending for her friends to carry him off to the country if she pleased and to make good cheer wherever she was. Here, said he, are the keys of the two great store chambers where I keep my spare furniture. These open the strong rooms of my gold and silver plate, which is only used on state occasions. These unlock my chest of money, both gold and silver. These my jeweled coffers. And this is the master key to all my apartments. But this little one here is the key of the closet at the end of the great gallery on the ground floor. Open all the others. Go where you will. But into that little closet, I forbid you to go. I forbid it so strongly that if you should disobey me and open it, there is nothing you may not expect from my displeasure. Fatima promised to obey all his orders exactly whereupon he embraced her, got into his coach, and was driven off. Her good friends and neighbors scarcely waited for the young bride's invitation, so impatient were they to view all the riches of her grand house, having never dared to come while her husband was at home because of his terrifying blue beard. They overran the house without loss of time, hunting their curiosity from room to room, along the corridors and in and out of closets and wardrobes, cabinets and presses, opening cupboards, ferreting in drawers, and still exclaiming over their contents as each new discovery proved more wonderful than the last. They roamed through the bedroom chambers and spent a long while in the two great store chambers where they could not sufficiently admire the number and beauty of tapestries, beds, sofas, consoles, stands, beauties, and particularly the looking glasses in which you could see yourself from head to foot. With their frames of glass and silver and silver gilt, the finest and costliest ever seen. They ceased not to extol and to envy their friend's good fortune. If my husband could only give me such a house as this, said one to another, for aught I cared, he might have had a beard of all the colors of the rainbow. <laughs> Fatima, meanwhile, was not in the least amused by the sight of all these riches, being consumed by a curiosity even more ardent than that of her friends. Indeed, she could scarcely contain herself and listen to their chatter, so impatient she felt to go and open the closet downstairs. If only Bluebeard had not forbidden this one little thing, or if having reasons of his own to keep it secret, he had been content to take the key away with him, saying nothing about it. At least, if he wished to prove whether or not poor Fatima could rise above the common frailty of her sex, and he was, as we shall see, a somewhat exacting husband, he should have warned her. As it was, her curiosity grew and possessed her until at length, without even considering how uncivil it was to leave her guests, she escaped from them and ran down to a little back staircase, in such a haste that twice or thrice she tripped over her gown and came near breaking her neck. When she reached the door of the closet, she hesitated for a moment or so, thinking about her husband's command and considering what ill might befall her if she disobeyed it. 
While he uttered it, his look had been extremely stern, and a blue beard, for after a month of married life, she could no longer disguise herself from herself that it was still blue, or at any rate changing color less rapidly than she or her mother had promised themselves, might betoken a harsh temper. On the other hand, though she considered to find it repulsive, he had hitherto proved himself a kind, even indulgent husband, and for the life of her she could not imagine that there was anything unpardonable in opening so small a chamber. The temptation, in short, was too strong for her to overcome. She took the little key and, trembling, opened the door. At first, shading her eyes and peering in, she could see nothing, because the window shutters were closed. But after some moments, she began to perceive that the light, falling through the shutters, took a reddish tinge as it touched the floor. So red as it was, or rather, red-purple, that for a moment or two she supposed the closet to be paved with the porphyry of that color. Still, as she stared, and her eyes by degrees grew accustomed to the gloom, she saw. And moment by moment the truth crept upon her and froze her, that the floor was all covered with clotted blood. In the dull shine of it, something horrible was reflected. With an effort, she lifted her eyes to the wall facing her, and there, in a row, on seven iron clamps, hung the bodies of seven dead women, with their feet dangling a few inches above the horrible pool in which their blood had mingled. Little doubt but these were the wives whom Bluebeard had married and whose throat he had cut, one after another. Poor Fatima thought to die of fear, and the key, which she had pulled from the lock, fell from her hand. When she had regained her senses a little, she picked it up and locked the door again, but her hand shook so that this was no easy feat, and she tottered upstairs to recover herself in her own room. But she found it filled with her officious friends, who, being occupied with the envy of her riches and having no reason to guess that, in husband's absence, anything could afflict so fortunate a wife, either honestly ignored her pallor, or hoped, while promising to come again, that they had not overtired her by her visit. They promised, too, to repeat their call very soon, and at the same time inquiring how long her husband's journey might be expected to last. It was plain that they feared him, one and all. Half an hour ago, she might have even wondered at this. They were gone at last. Fatima, drawing the key from her pocket, now to her horror, observed a dull smear upon it, and remembered that it had fallen at her feet on the edge of a pool of blood in the closet. She wiped it. She rubbed it on the sleeve of her robe, but the blood would not come off. In a sudden terror, she ran to her dressing room, poured out the water, and began to soap the key. But in vain did she wash it, and even scrape it with a knife and scrub it with sand and a pumice stone. The blood still remained, for the key was a magic key, and there was no means of making it quite clean. As fast as the blood was scoured off one side, it came again on the other. She was still scouring and polishing when a horn sounded not very far away. In her flurry, she paid little heed to this, or to the rumble of the wheels she heard approaching. Frightened though she was, 
she supposed that she still had almost six weeks in which to restore by some means the key to its brightness. But the wheels rolled up to the porchway and came to a stop, and when the horn sounding again blew her husband's flourish, then indeed the poor lady's knees knocked together and almost sank beneath her. Hiding the key in the bosom of her bodice, she tottered forth to the head of the stairs to behold Bluebeard himself making, standing below, beneath the lamp in the hall below. He caught sight of her as she leaned over, clinging to the balustrade, and called up cheerfully that he had received letters on the road with news that his journey was, after all, unnecessary, and the business he had went about had been settled and to his advantage. Still shaking in every limb, Fatima crept downstairs to give him greeting. She ordered supper to be prepared in haste, and while he ate, forced herself to ask a hundred questions concerning his adventures. In short, she did all she could to give him proof that she was delighted at his speedy return. Next morning, having summoned her to attend him on the terrace, he asked her to render back the keys, which she gave him, but with such a trembling hand that he easily guessed what had happened. How is this, said he? Why is not the key of my closet among the rest? I, I must have left it on, upstairs on my table, said Fatima. Fetch it to me at once, said Bluebeard, and what, at once and without fail. She went and after a while returned, protesting that she could not find it. Go back and seek it again, commanded Bluebeard, dangerously calm. After going backwards and forwards several times, she could pretend no longer, but brought him the key. Bluebeard examined it closely and demanded, How came this blood upon the key? I, I do not know, answered poor Fatima, paler than death. You do not know, cried Bluebeard in a terrible voice, but I know well enough. You have chosen to enter that closet. Mighty well, madam, since that poor room of mine so appeals to your fancy, your whims shall not be denied. You shall go in there and take your place among the ladies you saw there. Fatima flung herself at her husband's seat and wept and begged his pardon at every sign of truly repenting her disobedience. She would have melted a rock, so beautiful and sorrowful was she, but Bluebeard had a heart harder than any rock. You must die, madam, he said, and that presently. Since I must die, she answered, looking at him with eyes all bathed in tears. Grant me a little time to say my prayers. I grant you, replied, replied Bluebeard, ten minutes and not a second more. As she went from him and through the house towards her own apartment, at the foot of the great staircase, she met with her sister Anne, who unaware of Bluebeard's return, had just arrived to pay her a visit. "'Ah, dear sister!' cried Fatima, embracing her. "'But tell me, oh, and for heaven's sake, quickly, where are my brother Salim and Hassan, who had promised to come with you?' "'They're at home,' said Anne. "'They were detained at parade, and I have come ahead of them. I could wait for them no longer in my impatience to see you, but just as I was starting, they arrived back from the parade ground and sent word that they will follow as soon as they have groomed their horses and spend a happy day with you. Alas, sobbed Fatima, they will never see me alive in this world. But what has happened? asked her sister amazed. He, Bluebeard, has returned. 
Yes, and in a few minutes he has promised to kill me. But ah, ask me no questions. There is so little time left. Dear sister, if you love me, run upstairs and still up to the top of the tower and look if my brothers are not coming. And if you see them, give them a signal to make haste. Her sister Anne left her and ran up, up, up to the roof of the tower, and from time to time, as the minutes sped, the unhappy Fatima cried up to her, Anne, sister Anne, do you see anyone coming? And her sister Anne replied to her, I see nothing but the noon dust a-blowing and the green grass a-growing. By and by, Bluebeard, who had pulled out his huge saber and was trying its edge on the short turf of the terrace, cried up to her, shouted up to her, Wife, your time is up! Come downstairs and at once! Then, as she made no answer, he shouted again, and as loudly as he could bawl, Come down quickly, or I will come up to you! A moment, give me a moment longer, she answered, and called softly to her sister. Anne, sister Anne, do you see anyone coming? And sister Anne answered, I see nothing but the noon dust a-blowin' and the green grass a-growin'. Come down quickly, shouted Bluebeard, or I will come up to you. I am coming, answered his wife, and then again she cried, Anne, sister Anne, do you see anyone coming? I see, answered sister Anne, yonder a great cloud of dust coming. Is it my brother's? Alas, no sister, I see a flock of sheep. Will you not come down, bawled Bluebeard. Just one moment longer, entreated his wife, and once more she called out, Anne, sister Anne, do you see no one, no one a-coming? I see, she answered, yonder two knights a-riding, but they are yet a great way off. God be praised, she answered a moment after. They are our brothers. I am waving my handkerchief to them to hasten. Then... Bluebeard stamped his foot and roared out so terribly that he made the whole house tremble. The poor lady came down and cast, casting herself in all tears and disheveled at his feet, at his feet, clasped him by the ankles while she besought him for mercy. This shall not help you, said Bluebeard. You must die. Then, taking hold of her hair and twisting her head back, the better to expose her beautiful throat, he exclaimed. This be the lesson I read against curiosity, the peculiar vice of womankind, and which above all others I find detestable. To that most fatal habit all the best accredited religions, and whatever else they may differ, unite in attributing the first cause of all misfortunes to which the race is subject. In this strain, he continued for fully three minutes, still grasping her hair with one hand, while with the other he flourished his saber. As he seized, poor Fatima looked up at him with dying eyes. Oh, sir, she besought him, if this curiosity be, as you remind me, my worst sin, you will not be so cruel as to destroy me before I have confessed and asked pardon for it. Grant me, then, just one moment more to fix my thoughts on devotion. No, no, was his answer. Recommend thyself to heaven. And then he swung up his saber to strike. At that very instant, 
there sounded so loud a knocking at the gate that he came to a sudden stop. His arms dropped as the gate flew open, and two cavaliers ran in with drawn swords and rushed upon him. Loosing his hold upon Fatima, who sank fainting upon the grass, he ran to save himself, but the two brothers were so hot on his heels that after pursuing him through the vineries and orange house, they overtook him just as he reached the steps of the main porch. There they ran their swords through his body, and after making sure that he was dead, returned to their sister, who opened her eyes, indeed, as they bent over her, but had not strength enough to rise and embrace them. Bluebeard had no heirs, and so his wife became mistress of all his estates. She employed part of her wealth to marry her sister Anne to a young gentleman who had loved her a long while, and another part to purchase captain's commissions for her two stepbrothers, and the rest to marry herself to a very worthy gentleman who had made her forget the short but unhappy time she had passed with Bluebeard. Earl for Curious Wives Wives should have one lord only. Some have reckoned in curiosity to enjoy a second, but scripture says we may not serve two masters, and little keys have opened large disasters. Another moral for chastising or correcting husbands. The very best sermon that was ever preached was a thought less effective the longer it reached. I think uh, circular couches little morals at the end of it are absolutely hilarious because if like me that didn't make any sense to you the first time you listened to that and you might have even had to go back and re-listen to that a second time and you're still confused he's basically saying don't go looking into your husband's secrets or you might die or just cause a massive shitstorm or and and if you're a husband and you're gonna kill your wife because she caused a massive shitstorm uh do it without all the moralizing and the grandstanding because you might just be the one to die because you took so long to kill her. <laughs> yeah, so that's really funny to me. Um, but yeah, this is my very first episode of this series. Thank you for coming along with for the journey. Uh, I do take requests, so if there's a particular tale that you want to hear, feel free to uh, shout me out on Twitter. It's at fairlyfolk. So if you want to hear a particular story or even if you would be so kind as to leave a review on whatever platform you're listening to, particularly Apple Podcasts, that would be absolutely phenomenal and that would help out a lot. Um, Yeah, so let me know what you think. Yeah, so thank you so much for listening. I'll see you again on, not next week, but the week after that. Thank you.